5, the Bible says in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. You may be seated. You know, as I was going through this, I was thinking about the steward of God. One of the phrases that really stuck out to me is this. And as I went through and I read it in verse 5, if you'll look there just after the first part of that verse, he said, set in order the things that are wanting. Set in order. And I want you to underline that in your Bible, just the idea of set in order. And I began to think about, as I read through the Scriptures, how our God's a God of order. <laughs> and he told Timothy, to Paul telling Titus or, uh, to, to set things in order. And I believe our God's a God of order. If you look at creation, is that not organized? <laughs> and so you go through and you see creation, it's organized. God organized it. When I think about the law, was the law not done in order? And you think about whenever it was done, how God used a man to uh, do just that. I thought about how God, in every situation, in every circumstance that you find the nation of Israel, God would set things in order. Uh, you go back and we see the judges. They did not have a king. They had judges. And then whenever you look at the kings, God had an order for those kings. And there's a way that he had desired things to go. And you say, well, uh, Pastor, we know that some of these men did wrong, and they did. They got things out of order. <laughs> and when they did not follow God and got things out of order, it hurt things. What about the tabernacle? Whenever you go in and you read... Were there not specifics about how to put the tabernacle together and to get these craftsmen together and to do certain things? And was there not a time and a, and a way and a how to put everything together every time they had to tear that tent down and every time they had to set that thing back up? I mean, there was an order to that. They had to follow that order, and, and God set things in order. And then I even thought about the temple. How many of you have ever gone in and just really read about the temple in the Old Testament? And you look at how many, if we were to add that up today, it would be billions of dollars spent on building that temple. <laughs> and, and, and you can't even imagine how he brought in these craftsmen and brought in this cedar and brought in all these trees and, and, and all this stuff and, and God doing all of this and things were set in order and the temple was set in order and there was an order to things and, and they did it in, in, in sacrificing animals in, in that time and, and God set things in order then. And I got to thinking, why is it then that God did not set things in order in the church? Well, he did. <laughs> he set things in order in the church. There's a way things ought to be done in the local church. In fact, if you go back in the Old Testament and you read in Isaiah 58, he rebuked the people for praying and fasting wrong. And uh, you go back and you look at that and you can see, and he said, you're fasting for your own reason. There's nothing relationship with me you're doing it to fill your own bellies and, and he said here's how you're doing it and here's how you should be doing it and so he corrected them and as well so what you find is even in the end times if you go and you read the book of revelation how many of you read the book of revelation things happen in an order do they not god has an order to things 
And so right now, you say, well, where are we? We're in what's called the church age right now. We're awaiting Christ's return. It's what we're waiting for. Christ has already been sacrificed. He sits on the right hand of the Father. And now we're in this position that we're waiting for his return. And you go read the book of Revelation and you see if things are not in some semblance of order. And God has an order to it. Even though it may be chaotic to the people that will still be here, there's an order to things that God does. And so even then, uh, we see in the end times. So it should not seem strange that he has an order for the local New Testament church and he has the qualifications of what a steward ought to be in his local church. And so we go to these passages, and I believe they're vital in the organization of the local New Testament church because there are many changes that have occurred through the years to change the Word of God and change the design of the church and change the way we worship and change. And, and there's so many people just interested in change that they're not even sure why they're changing. They're just changing to change sometimes. So we got to ask me this afternoon, why have you changed the way you're doing the offering? What was conviction of God, the Holy Spirit, that did that to my heart? <laughs> uh, I believe sometimes what we were doing was we were praying and literally honoring men for giving money. <laughs> and the reality is, is we ought to take up the offering and praise God for what's been given. <laughs> you see, God's the one that provides, isn't it? So even if you give, God provided so you can give. And we ought to praise Him for what's been given. And then that puts the responsibility back then onto the local church to take those monies that God has given unto us and to spend them appropriately, to spend them on the things that God desires for us to do. And so when you think about it, we're thanking the Lord and not just people for giving. And so I challenged myself and I began to ask myself as I went through this few passages, is our church holding the principles of God regarding the steward of God and the order of the local New Testament church? Are we where we ought to be in our service to God? Now, this should be important to every believer that attends a church. Uh, for, we, we can't get to the place where we just give in to cultural change. And I see a lot of churches doing that. And it's hurting them in the long run. They're giving in to cultural change rather than giving in to the truth of God's Word. And they're giving in to just the ideas of men. And not that men can't have ideas, but I think it ought to come from here. This ought to be the root of it that causes it to come out. I don't think we ought to come with an idea and shove it into the scriptures. <laughs> and what's happening is, is you see a lot of these modern churches doing just that. And listen, we can't operate off of emotions. <laughs> we have to operate off of truth and fact. Amen. We have to operate off of the word of God. And when you look at this, we have to operate the house of God based upon truth. So I think there's some factors here to, that contribute to a healthy local New Testament church. One of the things that he says is set things in order. And I like the things to be in order. Now, I don't know how you are, but if you come in my office, there's a place for everything and everything's in its place. When it's out of its place, it bugs me. And I believe God's a God of order. And I'm not trying to elevate myself to that level, but I think God wants things done in order. During the week, your pastor sits down and I have times that I get alone with Christ and I read the scriptures and then I'm asking God to feed my soul that I may be able to feed his flock. Because you don't belong to me, you belong to God. And so I know there's an order to things and I set an order in things and I want to be able to bring forth the word of God so that there's not just a hearing of the word, but there's an understanding being brought by the word of God. And so whenever you think about this, things need to be set in order. And then a local New Testament church is healthy when the steward of God is who he ought to be. And we're going to talk about that steward here in just a moment. And then the fact is, is that we have to come to the place where we realize that we're serving the faithful word of God. We're not serving men. 
We're serving Jesus Christ and the faithful word of God. Now, in our service to Christ, we serve men. But we're not here to please men. We're here to please the Lord. And the goal is, is that we ought to elevate him and lift him up. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. The ministry should never be about the man standing behind the pulpit. It ought to be about the one he's preaching about, which his name is Jesus Christ. And we ought to be that way as a church. And, and as we get our focus on Jesus Christ, listen, folks, we cannot go wrong. <laughs> when you have your mind on Christ and the ministry is on Christ and the building of that work is based upon Christ and the lives that you're trying to build and invest in is built upon that great foundation, Jesus Christ, that chief cornerstone, things will be strong. And there'll be a unity of faith that cannot be broken down. But boy, can God use that to tear down, Brother Mike, the strongholds that are in our community because there's a unity of faith. And so I come to you tonight, and I want to talk to you about to set things in order. And of course, Paul's writing here to Titus, and he said, for this cause, so for this reason, for this purpose, he said, left I thee in Crete. Notice what he left him in Crete for. And, and he says to set things in order. Now, to straighten out further, or to arrange things, Paul's saying to him, and he's setting this charge before Titus to fulfill this with the churches there in Crete. That's an island out in the Mediterranean there, uh, just below Athens, Greece, is where this sits. And he's telling Titus, hey, listen, I'm leaving you there to kind of set things in order, to make sure things are going as they ought to. Now, notice how he phrases this, though. Set in order the things that are wanting, the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. So a church, and I believe this with all of my heart, is defective unless it has established leaders. And even as God sets things in order, he intends for us to have things in order in his local church. And I believe we ought to have leadership inside the church. And when I talk about leadership, I'm talking about godly men who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who are willing to pray with pastor and to work together as a team for the glory of the Lord. <laughs> that, my friends, is leadership. Leadership is not a title. Leadership is about what you're doing with the title you've been given. Leadership is about being that person that God desires for us to be. And, and we need to be men of God. We need to have strength based upon who Christ is. And, and, and we ought to love Jesus Christ. We ought to be willing to talk about him and be willing to promote our Savior. And, and we ought to have that in us and we ought to go forth as a church for that. He said in Crete, these were appointed meaning ordained by Titus. So then this is a process put in place by God for the qualified leaders by God's word and the ordination of men by God's process. So the elder, the principal, the official in the local church is what he's talking about here, has been appointed. He's been ordained. Now, what happened to me is I was ordained not here in Ohio, but in Virginia. But the men that ordained me served the same God that we're serving here. <laughs> And whenever they brought me in, they tested me. They, they did not allow me to bring my doctrinal statement up. I was allowed to have my Bible only. And they got to ask me any questions that they wanted to, to prove me, to test me, to see if I was not walking with God and had been tested to see if I can foot the bill of going out and starting a local New Testament church. Oh, and the gratefulness to my heart to those men to this day. I mean, some of those men I love so dearly. I see signatures on the wall. Some of them have passed, but I'm telling you, there's some godly men who signed that and are still serving God to this day. And what it is is that men are tested and then they're appointed, they're ordained, and the elder, the principal, the official in the local church ought to do that. When you folks called me to come to 
this work. I'm telling you men, you should have gotten alone with God. You should have prayed and fasted and asked the Lord, is he the one that should be here? Now, I want to tell you on my end, and I'm not lifting myself up, this woman and I prayed and fasted, and we had the peace of the God of heaven to come here. But what I'm saying is, is that the men of the church should have prayed and fasted and asked God, is this the man that you desire for us to have here, Lord? That should take place. And you say, why would we do that? Because we want God's hand in everything. Now, I'm not talking about over the lips, over the gum, look out stomach, here it comes kind of prayers. <laughs> I'm talking about the sincere prayer of God. You're kneeling and you're praying and you're doing it in spirit and in truth and in faith and obedience. And you're asking God, <laughs> is this the one? Then a peace would come amongst the group. If the peace didn't come, it shouldn't happen. And so I share with you a truth called by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you something. I believe in the Word of God. I hope you do tonight. Hey, man, do you believe this book? <laughs> if you believe this book, I'm going to read a passage to you, and I want you to see exactly what I'm talking about, okay? Pastor doesn't make stuff up. He tries to preach the truth of God's Word. I want you to look at Acts 20, 28. He said, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Who did it? The Holy Ghost did, didn't he? Now I want to ask you something. When we get saved, who indwells us? The Holy Spirit. And, and when we know not or not, don't even know how to pray, who is our intercessor? The Holy Spirit, right? Why is it that we would just choose out a man without really seeking the Heavenly Father? Because it says the Holy Ghost appoints them as the what? The overseer. <laughs> the Holy Ghost does that. And so God, uh, they're called by the Holy Spirit. And he said, the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now listen to this. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So I have a responsibility, guys. I have a responsibility to feed you. And you say, what are you going to feed us? You feeding us a line? No, I'm going to feed you the word of God. And you need to be assured in your hearts that God has chosen me and that whenever I came that I believe in my heart that I have been chosen to come. Now, I can tell you, I am assured in my heart that God called me here. I have no doubt in my mind God called me to this place. But what has to happen is the hearts of the people have to be assured that God called me to this place. Now, that should have taken place a long time ago. You say, well, we voted. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a vote. I'm talking about an assurance of heart by the power of the Holy Ghost, which indwells you. You should know. And so as we look at this, he said, set things in order, not only called by the Holy Ghost, but recognized by other elders. I was just sharing this with you in 1 Timothy 4, 14. He said, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, by the preaching. So prophecy is not prophetic in nature in the sense of we're uh, uh, prophesying something, but in the preaching of God's word. And he said, with the laying on of the hands of the presbyter. Those are the elders in other churches. When I got ordained in Virginia, a group of men come up and laid hands on me and prayed over me. Godly men prayed over me and said, we believe he's prepared to go out. That ought to give us some assurance. Why? I believe the Holy Ghost has called me. <laughs> they believe the Holy Ghost has called me. I believe the Holy Ghost called me to come to Calvary Chapel Baptist Church in Minster, Ohio, and you ought to be convinced in your heart that God called me to come here. 
And so we have a work to do now. And pastor's saying, in this work, let's set things in order. We got a job to do. And we've got to work in unity of the faith. How does that work? We do it through prayer. We do it through serving God, just like coming in and putting those John and Romans together. Listen, that's the unity of the faith. It's bringing that together. It's also taking these tracks out into the community. It's sharing the gospel with others. It's inviting people to the house of the Lord, not to come see Pastor Warning. But he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. We want to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. He's the one that will draw them. Not only recognized by the elders, but qualified according to the standards found in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. When I was ordained, they looked at those qualifications, and Pastor Warnick and his wife met those qualifications. And believe me, uh, listen, I believe when the pastor's called, his wife is called with him. It can't be that I believe I am and she doesn't think it's happening. It doesn't work that way. There is a calling of God and a peace of God that comes that brings that together and we come together as a group and listen, she's not pastoring the church, I'm pastoring the church, but I sure do want my wife to have the peace of God in her life, amen? And so what has to happen is we have believed the whole time that we've been here that we've been called of God to be here. Now as I look at this, the duties include ruling, pastoring, shepherding the flock, guarding the truth and general oversight of the work, including the finances. And then in saying that, I'll show you that in just a moment, but I want to share this with you. Do you want a pastor who is checking out people who are getting ready to join the church, or do you just want to let people join? You just want to let people in? Or do you want pastor and maybe the leaders of the church to say, hey, listen, let's sit down with that individual first. <laughs> now, on Saturday, these men observed me doing what? Doing just that, didn't I? Before Jack Crager came to this church, I sat down with him and we talked to him. We talked to him about his salvation. We talked to him about his baptism. We talked to him about his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And why does he believe that this is the place for him to come? Listen, I'm not just going to open the floodgates and say, hey, listen, we're just going to let anybody and everybody join the church. It doesn't work that way. Do you know there are qualifications for people to join a local church? One, they must be saved, amen? They must know Jesus Christ as Savior. Number two, they need to be scripturally baptized by immersion. And number three, if they're coming in by testimony, they need to be coming out of a church of like faith and doctrine. How many of you understand what I'm saying? You don't just open the floodgates and say, make sure the seats are filled. No, we want as many to come as possible, but those that join have to meet the qualifications of the local church, amen? And so we have to do this according to the truth of God's Word. Now, I told you, the pastor has the responsibility. I have to shepherd the flocks, but I have to guard the truth. I have the general oversight, including the finances. In Acts chapter 11, verses 29 through 30, he said, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which were dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and set it, sent it unto the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They sent it unto the elders. The elder is the one that has the oversight. And so I have a responsibility to Calvary Chapel Baptist Church for the finances that are being spent in this church. So you say, preacher, why did you change the way we're doing the offering? Because I want us to pray over what's been given. Amen? God's the one that multiplies, not me, not you. He provides, and we thank him for what he's provided. We want to glorify God in our giving. Would you agree? It's him that needs to be lifted up in our giving. He needs to be lifted up. 
So the phrase, the things that are wanting, are the things that are needed to help the ministry function according to the Lord's plan. So Paul then begins with this litany of qualifications for the task that Titus is to fulfill on behalf of the Lord and the local churches in that area. So Paul then is telling Titus to set things in order, and we see the biblical basis for that. You say, how? We see it in creation. We see it in the law. We see it in the judges. We see it in the kings. We see it in the tabernacle. We see it in the temple. And why would it not be in his local church? (laughs) It is. And he has things that he wants set in order. So the God of order wants his church to be set in order. And listen, this is not following the standards of man, but it's following the written word of God. Amen? Now, I've seen church constitutions, and I've seen people uh, get on that church constitution, and they're more about what the constitution says than what the word of God says. And I believe we ought to have a church constitution. But I believe that church constitution ought to line up with this book. Would you agree? It ought to line up with this book. If it doesn't line up with this book, this book ain't wrong. That's Pennsylvania for you, amen? This book ain't wrong. This is right. This is truth, is it not? Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is what? It's truth. This is what everything should come from. And so we need to see things in that manner. And so, okay, are we doing things as a local New Testament church in God's order? God, the Holy Spirit, and the ghost, he ordains God's managers, I believe, for the local New Testament church. In verses 7 and 8, he says this. He said, for a bishop must be blameless, and he said, selfless. And and when I look at this, uh, as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. You can ask Jimmy, and and, and you can ask Jim. I, I like fellowship, man. I like, don't I, Dave? And then I just get to talking. And those guys will look at me and say, hey, listen, Pastor, we got wives at home. We got to go. <laughs> so, but the thing of it is, is I love good men. Your pastor loves good men. I like men that are going to live for God. I like men who love the Lord Jesus Christ and are not ashamed of him. I like men that are going to stand up for Jesus. Amen? Those are the men I love. Men that are willing to just stick their self out there for the name and sake of Jesus Christ. When I think about this, Being that God has an order, it's imperative that we follow God's word. And for the local New Testament church, the steward of God, there are some characteristics that must be present in his life. Now, the steward of God is the under-shepherd. When I say he's the under-shepherd, Christ is over him. And so, in an independent fundamental Baptist church, I believe I'm called, you believe you've called me. Are you with me? There's no hierarchy. There's Jesus Christ and me and you. That's it. There's no fund coming from some other institution into this organization. It's the church being funded by the people in the local New Testament church. When I look at this, the steward of God is the under-shepherd of Jesus Christ, and Christ is the head of the church, and the man appointed of Christ by the Holy Ghost is the overseer. God's given me a great responsibility. Listen, folks, I don't take that lightly. You say, preacher, uh, we need some families. We need people coming in. We need, uh, and we've seen people leave and all that kind of stuff. Listen, I'm not in control of that. God is in control of that. And the last time I looked, he says in the scriptures, he's the one that adds to the church daily, such as should be what? He's the one that does. I can't do that. (laughs) And I'm not going to let people join just because I think they're a good person. People can join our local church because they've been saved, they've been baptized by immersion, and they are either a member of a church of like faith and doctrine, or I'm baptizing them into this body of believers. How many of you understand what I'm saying tonight? (laughs) That's how it works. 
You don't just open the floodgates and say, let them in so we can count the numbers. Now, I want multitudes in the seats. Believe me, I do. Because the multitudes will come that some may believe, and we have to do everything we can to get people in the door. And especially in the community in which we're in, listen, religion is strong around here. And your pastor is witnessing to folks. I mean, I am after him day after day, and I'm praying for him. I'm pleading with God on our behalf to help us win people to Christ. Religion is strong. Listen, Satan is battling for souls. He doesn't want us doing this thing. And what we have to do is have a mindset that we're in the unity of the faith. We're going to work together. We're going to make this thing happen by the power of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not in our own strength. It won't happen. But now, as we look at this, uh, 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 we need to see these stewards of God's. And often, we put conditions upon the pastor, and we say, well, I see here in the Scriptures what it says about the pastor. Uh, but I, I got to thinking about this, men. <laughs> Shouldn't all men qualify? Shouldn't all men qualify? And you say, well, I've already messed up in some areas. That doesn't mean you can't live by the qualifications then. <laughs> I think we all ought to live that way. Not just the preacher. Every man in this room ought to look at that and say, am I living that way? Is that how my life is? Is that what I'm doing? And you say, well, they can't be the pastor of the church. It doesn't matter. What matters is if they have the right relationship with God and they're doing everything they can to be a godly man. Listen, I told you, I love good men. Good men love the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're going to honor them, honor him with their life. That's what they'll do. We covered these qualifications when I preached through 1 Timothy, so... All I want to do now is kind of clarify some of what Paul was now emphasizing to Titus. He said, men of God. He said, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Men of God, the pastor is not to be married and divorced, folks. Men of God are not married and divorced. I don't care what the world's teaching out there today, that it's okay for a man to have been divorced and remarried and to pastor a church. That's a lie. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach that a man can be divorced and pastor a local church. It's just not right. You say, well, I know a man who has been married and divorced, and he's pastoring a church, and man, he's got a bunch of people. A bunch of people don't mean anything. A man of God is only to be married one time to the woman that's in his life. And I share that with you out of truth. And, and listen, he's not to be divorced, and it's not to be the husband of one wife at a time. I've heard that said. Well, as long as he's the husband of one wife at a time, that's all that matters. So I can get married and divorced and get another woman and then go ahead and continue to pastor the church and then get divorced and find me another woman because I only have one at a time. How would you then want that man to give you marriage counseling? Because he's been married and divorced two or three times. It doesn't work that way. When I look at this as well, but they are to only have one wife. The same phrase is found in 1 Timothy 5.9 that supports this, only one wife. And then Paul is speaking about the bishop, the steward of God, and he addresses areas that should be present in their life. He says there's some character that ought to be there. There shouldn't be blame found in them or self-will or anger or wine or striker or filthy lucres. And these are the characteristics of that man that must be considered when setting things in order in a local New Testament church, deciding on a pastor, that bishop, that overseer of the church. You need to make sure that they meet those qualifications. 
And when these men met together and they decided for a pastor, they needed to make sure that that man met these qualifications before he walked through that door. And that should have happened. Now, whether it did or not, I mean, I don't know what happened behind closed doors. I'm just telling you what should have happened. And prayer should have been sought for that man. And as I look at this and I see this, uh, the, uh, our missionary, how many of you know, how many of you remember Mark Tolson that was here? How many of you remember him? He's our missionary to China. <laughs> He's got a blog out. I love it. I, I bless his heart, man. I mean, he is working hard to get that thing going. And, and I've been reading it, and he's doing a good job. He really is. And this last one, I, I was putting this message together, and I, I, I got it, and his blog came in, and I started reading. I thought, man, that's really good. <laughs> I mean, he's thinking. He's really thinking about the Bible and thinking about the Scriptures and thinking about preaching truth. I mean, it's good to have missionaries like that, that they're really thinking about the Word of God. And, and I was blessed as I read this, and, and he's got this blog, and he's our, our missionary to China. By the way, if you want to go look at it, 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 the blog is www.chinaministry.org. You can go on there and you can get to his blog that way. But one of the things he says is a serious problem over in China is they got too many female preachers. <laughs> so that's the problem over there. He said, now, China doesn't care because they don't care about the Word of God. They just care whether you're going against the government or not. And he said, I got a problem over here. He said, there's too many female preachers. And let me share something with you. Women are equal with Christian men in the local church, but we have different roles. Amen. We just have different roles. And that ticks some people off, but it's the truth. We are made different. God made us up different, and he gave us different roles in a local church. We shouldn't get angry about that. We ought to thank God that he set things in order. And whenever I go in and I read this uh, blog from him, he said, women are equal with Christian men, but they have different roles including being limited in the kind of positions they can hold by God's design. God designed it that way. God did that. And here's the thing. God set a pattern for the roles of man and woman at creation. He created man first to be the leader and the woman second to be the helper. God is the head of the church, or God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of the woman. And this is based on the original intent of creation and will not change over time because of culture. I loved it. Then he backed it up with Scripture. Isn't that good? He just makes statements. He said, now I want you to go read these verses. And he said, go in and you read 1 Timothy chapter 2, read verses 13 and 14. And then you go in and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you read verses 1 through 16 and see if this is not true. I loved it. <laughs> By the way, you've got to go read the whole blog because, man, I can't tell you everything he said, but good night was it good. And I thought that boy thought about it because he said of the things that he's facing, God's allowed him some knowledge in this arena and he said man he said pastor i was so grateful and uh, i told him i said i was going to quote him tonight i'd give him credit and everything i wouldn't even take credit for what he wrote and but anyway the bishop in god's local new testament church is to be a man called to the work of god the ministry meeting the qualifications set before us in titus 1 3 1 through 7 now folks i'm i'm be honest with you even since i've been here I've had some folks leave because they were angry with me because I preached that women shouldn't be preachers. And I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying to you. They were upset because I said women cannot pastor a local church. And they won't come back here for that reason. But do you know what? I'd rather be right with God than wrong with man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and what I'm saying to you is this. 
Do I come out here and tell you what you want to hear or do I preach the truth? What do you want? And when you look at truth, you see this in the scriptures. And, And so then the bishop has a responsibility. Paul also emphasizes what the pastor is to display in his character. He's a lover of hospitality. Believe me. Uh, today you could see me at lunch. I love hospitality. Amen. Right, Miss Carrie? I was chowing down today, wasn't I? And the thing of it is, is that we ought to be a lover of hospitality. In other words, I don't mind it getting together with folks at all. In fact, I, I appreciate it. I enjoy it. Don't I, Brother Kyle? I'll even eat a cheeseburger from time to time. Amen. <laughs> and the thing of it is, I don't mind coming together. I love hospitality, but he says not only a lover of hospitality, but I like this, and a lover of good men. A lover of good men. And believe me, fellas, I love a lot of you fellas in this church, but I really love good men. (laughs) You say, preacher, what are you trying to tell me? Men who love Jesus are good men. (laughs) Men who are willing to pray (laughs) with pastor, men that are willing to come and let's get together, let's pray over things, man. Listen, without Christ in it, it's useless, man. We can't get anything accomplished apart from him. We need each other. We need to come together and pray. Now, I know this is an encouragement. I'm going to put on the calendar here soon. I want to have a men's prayer breakfast. Now, see, the breakfast gets you, amen? So, but I want to come together and pray. I want to pray about this ministry. I want to pray about what God wants to do. I want to pray, how do we reach people? I want to give you names of people that pastor specifically knocking on their door and pleading with them to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Hey, listen, then when we go and we knock on doors and we do that, man, we have the power of God, the unity of the faith going out into this community. And Brother Mike, that's when the strongholds start coming down. It's when they start coming down. Because men are coming together to pray. Ladies, my wife wants to come on Sunday nights. And wants to start praying with you ladies. If you'll come a little early and just come and she wants to spend some time in prayer with you. And so we have a men's prayer meeting at 6.30 on Sunday nights. She asked me to announce tonight she'd like to have you ladies come and get together to pray with her at 6.30 on Sunday nights. Not going to hurt you, I promise you. And she's not going to go against pastor and the word of God. She's just going to get with you and pray. But we're going to pray about God's hand on this ministry. (laughs) We're going to pray about what God's doing in this ministry. We're going to pray about how we reach people for Christ's name's sake and what God wants to build here. And so I want to challenge you, and we'll put this in the bulletin, uh, that we're going to host this ladies' prayer meeting at 6.30 on Sunday nights. So Paul here, he's emphasizing some things. He said, this man ought to be a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. This man uh, of God is to be sober. That means to stay in your right mind. Now, I want to tell you, the pastor feels like he's out of his mind sometimes, but I try to stay in my right mind. And to be sober has nothing to do with alcohol. It has everything to do with keeping yourself calm. And even when things walk through the door, you've got to be able to handle those things for the namesake of Christ. And believe me, there's things walk through the door that's hard at times. And the only answer is Jesus Christ. And when we look at this, he tells us to be sober. He tells us to be just and holy and temperate. And these pertain to the attitude and the spirit of the man who is called to have the oversight of the local New Testament church. I have this last verse that I want to share with you, and I believe the Word of God is not a book to be changed by men. The Word of God is not a book to be changed by men. But I believe men can be changed by the Word of God. (laughs) And we need to get back to that. I'm not interested in changing what God said. I'm interested in watching God change what men say. (laughs) And I'm, 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 I'm seeking God in this. And he told Titus this. He said, holding fast. 
I want you to underline that in your Bible. Holding fast. Holding fast. What are they holding fast? The faithful word. (laughs) Holding fast the faithful word. Now, when I think about the faithful word, the faithful word is the word of God that had been taught to Titus, and he's challenged to hold fast or to adhere to and support these truths and appoint men who will also hold fast to those truths. When you think of holding fast, I've shared this with you before. How many of you have um, dealt, dealt with super glue before? How many of you have used super glue before, huh? How many of you have gotten it between your fingers or you got it stuck on something? You know what I mean? Or even if you get it on your clothes and you look at it and it leaves a scar forever because it never comes off. And even if you try to take it off with a razor or whatever, you end up tearing the fabric and everything else. You say, preacher, how do you know all that? <laughs> I've used super glue one too many times, Amen. I think it's the fix-all for everything. I tried to put my exhaust system together with it. One, no, I'm just kidding. I did what Ben did. We used duct tape, man. It works. But it has that idea to adhere to. When you think about adhering to something, it sticks, doesn't it? And so whenever he said hold fast, he's saying stick to. Let it, let it really be like an adhesive. I mean, it's, it's hard to separate yourself from it. And so he said, not only you, Titus, but these men that you appoint, that they hold fast. So this is an area of the local New Testament church that begins to diminish first. And I believe it starts with the changing of the Word of God. And whether it's versions or interpretations or whatever the case may be, they're going to start doing that. Why? Because they need to diminish the Word of God so that they can adapt to the culture whether then men adapt to the truth of God's Word. And, and what happens is they begin to make those changes and changing God's Word. By the way, that's not new. <laughs> that happened with Satan in the Garden of Eden. He tried to change what God said. Hath God not said? And what was he doing? He was trying to get Eve to doubt the word of God. (laughs) And today, when we have, you say, preacher, how do you know? Why do you use the King James? Why do you always use it? Why do you not use these other versions? Why do you not take those in? Because I believe there's so many errors in those other versions, and I can prove it to you over and over again, Someone came to me in this church about utilizing the NIV. There are 2,700 errors in that book. So how can it be the truth of God's Word? And you say, preacher, are you sure? No, I'm positive. And so why do you stick to the King James? Because it is the closest thing that we have to the original manuscripts. (laughs) I don't think it's going to get any better than this. And you say, well, it's easier to read those new versions and, you know, the old version. I mean, you read this. Hey, listen, people spend $1,500 to go hear a Shakespeare play and he talks like this. And the truth of the matter is, is this is not hard to read. In fact, the Bible says as the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, he will help you understand this book. Amen. Amen. And he'll bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever he has said unto you. So the foolishness of changing everything, it's just foolishness. It's man trying to change things so they can adapt to the culture. And that's what's happening. I want to give you something, and I'll finish up tonight. Changing God's word, even Satan attempted in the Garden of Eden. Today, men change truth and doctrine to adapt to cultural changes. I want to show you something, and this is in Paul's day. We're going to go to Romans, and I'll finish with this tonight. Turn to Romans chapter 1. If you're still alive, say amen. Amen. (laughs) Romans chapter 1. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Now, I want to read a few verses to you, and I'm not going to preach at all. I just want to read it to you to keep it in, in perspective. 
He said in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in what? Who hold the what? Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is what? Now wait a minute. This says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in what? Unrighteousness. They're not handling it correctly, are they? Now watch this. He said, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. God's brought it to light. He's, he's, he's revealed this to us. And he said, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No man has an excuse not to know about God. Man's without excuse. And he said in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were what? Darkened. They grew dark because of this. Professing themselves to be wise, they became what? How much do you see on television today, you know? Wisdom, knowledge, attaining all this stuff. And, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And now watch this in verse 23. And change the glory of the, uncor uh, the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the what? Truth. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then God goes on and He said, And for this cause... For this reason, this is what I had to do. And what's happened today is, listen to me. I got a statistic today. I'm going to check it out, okay? I got a statistic today. I'm going to check it out. 58% of millennials that are in a local New Testament churches believe that homosexuality is normal. Now, I'm going to check the statistic out. I'm going to go find it. They told me I can go check this. 58% of millennials that are in local churches believe that homosexuality is a normal way of life. They're in churches. That's what I was told. I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to back it up. I'm going to find out if it's to be true. But I thought even if it were 10%, that would be an astounding number to me. And I want to show you what God's Word says. He said in verse 20, For this cause God gave them up to unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use of that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of error, uh, their error which was me. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate mind to do those things which, were, which are not convenient. And being filled with all unrighteousness. And then he lists a host of things there. Now here's the thing. If it were okay, why did God say it's not okay? Why did God say he gave them up to a reprobate mind because that's the way they're thinking? Why would the local church be okay with that? Why would we say that that's normal? That isn't normal, folks. That is not the way God intended. And listen, I'm not putting homosexuals down. I'm saying they need help just like every other sinner needs help. But God designed a man and a woman to be together. He never designed two men or two women to be together. And God knows by the name of God in heaven, he didn't decide to give me uh, a, a body of a man and me to turn myself into a woman. 
or for me to, 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 to be a woman and decide I'm going to turn myself into a man. I can't find that in the Scriptures. And the truth of the matter is, is I'm not trying to hurt anybody. And listen, we probably all in here have family members that may be in that condition or that state right now, but I'm telling you, that is not of God. And we need to witness to them the truth of God's Word. And I'm not trying to be hurtful, and I'm not trying to be a hoorah, and I'm not looking for amens. I'm looking for us to look to God's Word, to see this truth, and ask God to give us the power to preach the truth of God's Word. And the fact is, is God said He gave them up to a reprobate mind. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate minds to do those things which were not convenient. And being filled with all unrighteousness, and He lists a host of things. When you get down to verse 32, He says who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them to do them. You know what that means? Not only do they like to do this themselves, they like to pull you into it and want you to go with them to go do it. They take pleasure in other people getting involved in it. And so God's Word clearly teaches us some things here about His faithful Word. The Bible is not to be adapted to what men think. (laughs) The Bible is not to be adapted to what men think, but is meant to change the thinking of men and women to conform to God's truth. The reason that men are not popular when they preach this truth is because they're preaching truth. (laughs) And it goes against culture, and it goes against how we feel, and we let our emotions dictate what our church is going to be rather than the truth of God's Word and setting things in order and looking to God's Word to do what needs to be done and that the steward of God is not a homosexual or a lesbian, but that they are a man of God and there are qualifications that come along with that. Amen? Amen. And we need to handle the Word of God and the truth of God's Word by preaching what is truth, not trying to adapt to the emotions and feelings of people today. And the more we do that, the less we're going to look like what God intended the local New Testament church to look like. (laughs) We're going to look just like the world. And you won't be able to distinguish between it and truth. You won't be able to do it. As I challenge you with this thought, I end with this. I believe this is a sore spot whenever I preach like this to those modern churches. (laughs) And believe me, I've got friends that are walking away from independent fundamental Baptist churches because they're wanting to go and they want a crowd. And they want a crowd. They want people to know their name. And the thing of it is, is that they're starting to walk away because they have changed the church of God and the word of God into something they can adapt to rather than change themselves and conform to God's truth. Now listen, he says healthy doctrine, good doctrine, teachings always result in good practice. And good practice is always based on good doctrine. It just is. And whenever we look to God's word, that's the way it is. And in the book of Romans, in these passages that I just read, uh, lend itself to that truth. And the conclusion is, is there's some gainsayers out there. These, there are people that get involved in contradicting the truth. <laughs> That's what they want to do. They want to confuse you, just like Satan did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. So I share this with you tonight. The faithful word of God is the only teaching that can change the heart of men. So if we're going to convince those gainsayers, we have to proclaim it by sound teaching, not adapting to what they want to hear. Let's pray.